um, I'll just bring up our presentation for today, which explains where, well, sorry, what we're doing basically. So obviously we've signed up today with Harry Gurney, um, current um, Nottinghamshire uh, T20 oh, and, and world global franchise T20 player. Um, at this point, I'll just point out if anybody cannot see the presentation screen, please can you um, either send a message into the group now or unmute yourself briefly and say that you can't see it. If I don't hear anything, we will crack on straight away. Okay. Um, so today we have a special guest, Harry Gurney. It doesn't need a lot of introductions for those guys who are in the cricketing world, but I will give you some anyway. Um, there is Harry, and with 310 first-class wickets to his name, 114 List A wickets, uh, T20 Blast winner, is representing England at T20 and ODI cricket, uh, and extremely successful in the franchise game, as I've said. I'm really looking forward to um, getting some of your questions and also some of our own towards Harry today, uh, relating to his experiences of his global franchise T20 cricket, I think it could be really interesting and insightful. Um, and for those who don't know, winning man of the match on his IPL debut, um, the interview is worth watching. I'm sure Harry would agree on that. Harry, one of the first <laughs> questions I've got for you is what's the biggest crowd that you've played in front of? I got asked this by three people, so I thought I'd best kick off w with that. And welcome, Harry. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, good to see you, mate. It's... Um... Yeah, the biggest crowd, uh, it would have to be Eden Gardens probably at the IPL, which is um, supposedly 70,000. I think in reality it's it's a few more than that, but uh, they say 70,000 publicly anyway. Perfect. And, you know, how we sort of won't draw on that too much, but can you just describe for some of the guys that are on here, and I guess most of them really, what's the difference between playing in front of 70,000 and playing in front of uh, 4,000 of a... Of a game at Trentbridge for example what, what are the major differences just so just so people can sort of relate to it and maybe get an idea into what that's actually like well I think probably a similar difference in some ways to when you go from playing club cricket to maybe playing for Leicestershire at Grace Road in front of three or four thousand it's um, probably takes a little bit of getting getting used to I think maybe your first couple of games as a, as a youngster when you're coming through it's um, you are aware of the crowd around you but once you've done it a few times you sort of forget about TV cameras and you forget about the crowd um, and actually rather than be daunted by it you prefer you prefer to be playing in front of a big crowd than, uh, than an empty stadium which I might be playing in front of next time I walk onto a cricket pitch but um, yeah it's great it's a great fit every so often you notice them and you just think wow you know I can't believe I'm out here I pinch myself sometimes but um, yeah it's uh, it's good fun and your um, obviously I mean 70,000 a lot of people but would you say that once you're in that moment and, you know, it's you against the batter and, and, and you know, there's a saying, isn't there, that, you know, you're still bowling at someone, it's, the wicket's still 22 yards away, the ball still weighs the same. Is there is there elements of that you can relate to? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's it, the game of cricket. It's funny, when you come through, you every level you break into, you think, am I going to be good enough? Um, and that's the biggest thing that you're sort of nervous about, really. You, you know, when you make your first... I, I don't know if I speak for every professional cricketer when I say this, but certainly I've always felt um, like a bit of a 
fraud almost to an extent you know I'm, oh, I'm not gonna be good enough at the next level and then you go in at the next level and then you do all right and you think oh okay well you know it's just another game of cricket so and that is the case all the way down from sort of grassroots cricket right up to the top level so um yeah it's um it's a nerve-wracking thing when you first go into it but um you know as I always say to the young cricketers when they come in um it's just another game of cricket like you've said two sets of stumps 22 yards apart perfect um and really, Harry, that leads nicely on to this next one. Um, for those who don't know, myself and Harry played um, a fair amount of club cricket together, um, Leicestershire, second level cricket together. And um, I was sent this picture this week, actually, H. Um, Dip sent it over to me. He was our captain at yeah. the town. Yeah. So really, it was a nice picture. And the one, the one beneath it as well, in it looking quite fresh face. But um, yeah. it was quite a nice picture to start us off, really, because... You know how how did how did all this start for you? Yeah, as you say, it was Loughborough Town. Um, I had a friend called Phil Lowe who played for Loughborough Town. I would have been ten or eleven, I guess. Um, and I remember him saying to me, "Do you have you ever played cricket?" And I said, "No, apart from quick cricket at school." And he said, well, "Or rounders or whatever you played in PE at school in those days." And he said, "Well, um, why don't you come to Loughborough Town next?" So I said, "Yeah, why not?" Um, and rocked up at Loughborough Town Nets, no idea um, really how to bowl or anything. And um, just fell in love with it immediately. Um, completely head over heels in love with the game and never really looked back, I guess. And that photo at the top is Loughborough Town first team. God, God, no, wouldn't know what year. Um, circa 2003-ish. Um, when I'd have been 16, 17, I guess. And... Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of success, didn't we? Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I think I think like you say there, you learn, don't you, from, I guess you have lasting impressions from the guys that you, you grew up with in your formative years. And certainly from my personal view, there's, there's just guys in, in the teams that you've played with early that, that leave lasting impressions on you. And, um, you know, you, your cricketing ethos is, I guess, and the way you approach the game is often based around that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, these experience shape you as a cricketer, that is for sure. And that back right in that photo with the slight afro we had, that's Phil Lowe. That's, uh, that's the bloke who got me into cricket. Yeah, for those who are old enough to remember, he looks a bit like Screech off Saved by the Bell as well, for those who... And, and he, stars, he stars in an upcoming cricket film about the, 19, about the 1983 World Cup. He yeah. plays... Who was the, um, the bloke who blocked it? Oh, God, his son plays for Gloucester now, or... Tavare? Yes, he plays Tavare. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a stat that might be worth a watch. Today, so, yeah, that's him. Back <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I like that. So, heroes growing up. I guess that might be relevant to that. It might not. I mean, who were your cricketing heroes growing up? Your first heroes? Um, I didn't really have any, to be honest. Um, I don't know how common that is, but yeah, there was no one, there's no one particular cricketer that I look back at and think. He was who inspired me to to take up the game, and and he was the one that I wanted to be. You know, I, when I st- started following England, I think it was Goff and Caddick opening the bowling, mm. uh, and I can remember in those early days, as I say, you know, when England were playing in Pakistan and India, getting up at four a.m. to sit and watch them play, and um, mm. yeah, just completely obsessed with it. So Goff and Caddick, I guess, um, in that regard, I really admired. You know, they had a period where they ran in and bowled good pace and swung it, and 
Um, and then, you know, there's, there's so many bowlers that I've admired over the years. Probably someone like a side bottom would, um, would be, you know, one of the best left armers that I've um, played against. It's interesting you mentioned that because obviously, um, as you say there, the period of sort of growing up and the era that, that you found yourself in, there probably wasn't the leading left arm bowlers that, um, you know, as, as them role models. So I guess that's understandable. You're not necessarily probably having someone um, straight away to look up to. I think there were a few sort of swingers on the county circuit mm. that, you know, dibba-dobbers, but, you know, as such, there was no real um, out-and-out, genuine left-arm pace that, that could swing it. So I think that, mm. who knows, maybe there was a niche for you in the, in the cricketing market there, H, that you, that you grabbed an opportunity, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think we are a bit left-armers. We are a bit more fashionable these days, you're right. Mm. Interesting. So, sort of firing straight in, really. I mean, did you always want? I probably know the answer to this, but did you always want, want to specialise in the short formats for those guys who are with us today? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, I just, I just loved the game, and as a, as a kid, I mean, the short formats is all you get, isn't it? You know, under tens, elevens, thirteens, fifteens, seventeens at Loughborough Town. That was all I played. Twenty over cricket, really. Fourteen, eight balls, whatever. Um, and then you break into the men's game and even that is despite the fact they play in white kit with a red ball um, it's it's limited overs cricket isn't it ultimately and there's winning draws and losing draws and all that stuff well there was then mm-hmm. uh, so no I didn't really have any particular format that I looked at at that point and thought I want to specialise in that um, you just come through you start playing county second team cricket which is where really apart from county in the 19s where you play a couple of two days it's, that's when you first encounter cricket that goes on for longer than a day um and yeah I think for me even at that stage it was it was always just a case of I really want to be a professional cricketer I'm desperate to make it I'm desperate to get a county contract and and see where it takes me you know I can remember going and watching at Grace Road and thinking god imagine doing this for a living you know it was just it was my dream I feel so lucky to have spent the last 15 years doing it perfect and I think we'll touch more on on sort of your, your Leicestershire days, etc., as, as we as we carry on, but um, and that's really really honest and interesting. I think um, for for everyone listening, Harry, because obviously, and again, we'll come on to this later. But um, your your approach to T Twenty cricket and your take on that um, is quite, you know, um, many would maybe see it as quite cemented, and I think that it's quite nice to hear your view there and championing the league cricket and you know the the good that second eleven cricket, both three day and 50 over cricket did for you. So that's yeah. really interesting. Mm. Um, so what what set you apart then from, from the rest of, of the guys as we were coming through the age groups, through the academy system, second 11, onto the staff eventually and beyond? What set you apart, would you say? I mean, I think probably you would know better. Probably be better for you to answer that question. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, one thing that I do know that set me apart in those early days looking back is um was my desire and commitment um i can remember as a 14 15 year old uh, refusing to go on summer holidays with my family because i was just not prepared to miss a cricket match i was not prepared to miss a loughborough town under 15s game um and so i can remember my whole family going away on holiday to a haven holiday camp somewhere or something and I, me and my dad just stayed in Loughborough because I was there was just no way you couldn't have got me in that car and got me away other, from other, other holiday destinations are available yeah exactly <laughs> um so yeah and I can remember Phil actually 
funnily enough, who, who, was, who got me into the game, was a very talented cricketer, arguably better than me for a long time. Um, I can remember him occasionally going away for like two week holidays in the middle of the summer and I just could not understand that at all. I remember it was just completely foreign to me. I thought it was bizarre uh, behaviour, but I guess that was, uh, that was the obsession that I had. And that I think is probably what, what stood me apart in terms of my skills as a bowler. I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to tell me really. I think your ability to, to swing the ball back late at pace into the right hand was something that, that mm. made that, well it does make you a very dangerous bowler, but also I think the and there's been a lot more on it since the start of your career to now. But you look at all the research into arm speed, and mm. you know I think your your whippy mm. action and your arm speed is something that it's it's not as common um, in the lower levels of cricket, and I think that as you've obviously worked with that, mm. um, and and the ability to hit the bat harder than you probably probably think, and yeah. For those guys listening that aren't familiar with that term, that just sort of means, you know, the ball when you're when you're when the ball's hitting the bat, it just hits it a little bit harder than what other bowlers would. And that's something that you listen to guys talking about about the professional bowlers and they all say that they hit the bat quite hard. Um so yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, honest there. Harry, I just want to pick up on a point there because I think it's important, guys, and this everyone in, in our chat today, please do, as I said, if you've got a, a question or something springs to mind throughout as we go, please shout up and mute yourself um, and, and interject because I want it to be an interactive experience for everybody. But Harry, what you were saying there about youngsters and holidays, I think that's really interesting because we see that now and you, know, you can imagine working in coaching as we do and, and yourself as a player, you get asked the question, what's it take to be a professional cricketer and what, you know, what, what does he need to do? And, the same people asking the questions, 95% of them are going on holidays for, mm. you know, for, for four weeks a year during the summer. And I think that's a fantastic point for any youngsters that are listening in today to this. Um, there, there are so many sacrifices, aren't there, that you've obviously made. People don't see that. They don't. No, they don't. Well, there's two sides. <laughs> well. I mean, on, on one hand, um, at that time, it didn't feel like a sacrifice because I just loved, I loved cricket that much that it would have felt like a sacrifice to have gone on the holiday. Um, subsequently as I've got older and it's become my job and um, yeah there are lots of things that I've missed out on weddings and um, holidays with friends and all that kind of stuff and they and they started to feel like more of a sacrifice but um, yeah I mean like I say I was just I couldn't bear the thought of missing a single I can remember sitting at school just uh, in like science or whatever looking out the window looking at the clouds just thinking please don't rain because we've got training tonight I just want to go and I just want to go and practice and practice um, uh, on that note Harry that's a really interesting point again that leads on to a nice other question actually here um, th- how many professionals do you see that just love it when it rains oh god yeah I mean myself included we all love it <laughs> uh, and I think that as I've already touched on you get to a point probably around your late teens, early 20s, where you transition from an amateur, effectively an amateur cricketer to a professional cricketer. And you've been doing it for a number of years. Um, and yeah, God, it starts to, particularly by my age, um, yeah, you love a bit of rain. Oh God, I tell you, love a bit just of ex- rain. Just explain in what sense you mean that, because people have been saying, you know, well, you're getting paid for your dream job and what, but you know, your honesty is what I think is going to make today really interesting and insightful, Harry. But why is it that you enjoy having that break in, in the long county season? Can you just explain to, to people? Part of it is physical, as you say. 
it's a long counter season. It is hard work. Um, you bowl a lot of overs. You field. You stand out there and field for a long time. So to get a bit of time um, sat with your feet up, drinking a coffee in the changing room is uh, is appealing at times, uh, particularly sort of August September time when you've been on the road all summer. Yeah. Um, and also, ultimately, it's our job. You know, if 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 a postman didn't have to deliver the post when it rained, I'm sure it'd love rain as well. Um, so yeah, it's just you know, it's just the way it is. It's um, listen. It, if we've got a, a, a full house on a Friday night at Trent Bridge and we're playing Derbyshire and uh, the lads are all excited, the last thing you want to see is rain. But um, yeah, there are some dreary old days where you just you, you pray for it. Interesting. Thanks for your honesty on that. Um, yeah. H, I'm just coming back to a question that we um, sort of alluded to earlier, but um, and I know I know with you we'll get an honest answer with this. But did you believe that you had to leave Leicestershire to further your career? Um, you know, Broad and Taylor took a similar route, but Greg Smith as well, actually, not a name we've put in there. But mm. did you feel, um, Josh Cobb to Northampton, did you feel that was something you had to do? Um, if I'm honest, that isn't the reason I left. That wasn't my reasoning for leaving. I mean, I would have stayed. The reason I left is um, I got to halfway through my last season at Leicestershire and I asked the chief executive whether they were going to be offering me a new contract and he said he wasn't sure. Um so I was like, well, can I speak to other counties then? And he said, yes. So um, immediately and surprisingly to me at the time, um, as I say, I've always felt a bit of an imposter. Uh, Mick Newell at Nottinghamshire said, yeah, we'll have you uh, and, and we'll offer you a three-year contract. And um, to feel wanted by a huge test match county from just down the road and to be able to stay um, in my local area was was amazing. I was never, I was never not signing for Nottinghamshire from the minute I met Mick Newell because um, I loved him as well and his visions for the club and um, his philosophies. But had had the chief exec at the time, uh, it was 2011, had he turned around to me when I asked him, are you going to offer me a new contract? I said, yes, here's a new two-year contract. I'd have, I'd have just signed it. I wouldn't have even explored other options. So, no, that isn't why I left. Having said that, um, I'll be eternally grateful to said chief exec for not offering me a contract because I don't think my career would have progressed like it has had I stayed at Leicestershire, to be honest. That's really interesting. I'm sure you still follow, as we all do, you know, the county, you call it the county, but you still follow the Leicestershire with a fond heart, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's always nice going back to play there as well. Um, it's, a, it's a place where, obviously, you and I have spent a lot of time together and I've spent a lot of time there over the years and a lot of my formative years traveling to and from Grace Road up and down the M1 for training in all the uh, all the winters and um, and then later playing as a professional there it's uh, yeah it is a special place oh, that's great I think that's nice for those Leicestershire fans that are in the chat today to hear that as well Harry um, I guess at the final question with how it started out um, any coaches that stood out for you as a young cricketer now this can be taken I guess in two ways that stood out Let's take it on a positive slant. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are there any coaches that stood out to you as a young cricketer? Well, you might want to give a negative start, I don't know. But. No, I'm not. <laughs> there are some that stood out for the wrong reasons, but I won't list that. Um, really, when I look back on my formative years as a cricketer, the, the bloke that stands out to me really is a guy called Steve Schofield. Um, when I arrived at Loughborough Town at the age of 10, I think I was 10, um, Scoey, I was really fortunate that Loughborough Town had a, a coach, a part-time coach who was employed by the club um, called Steve Schofield. And he uh, is also James James Taylor's co- personal coach and mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
latterly. So yeah, um, Scoey, I was really lucky to have. It, you know, it wasn't with the greatest respect. It wasn't like I was turning up and a well-meaning dad uh, who didn't really understand the game that well, or you know, stood at the back of the net telling me to bowl line and length. I actually had a proper sort of semi-professional coach. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard, and he really helped me to develop in those early days as a bowler. Um, I can remember working for long hours with him doing one-to-ones. He identified me from from very early on, and um, again, I guess I'm lucky in that respect. So, yeah, probably Scoey, I would say, and then um, Dips Patel, who it was the coach who's second in from the left on that photo, um, captain of captain of Loughborough Town first team, and also involved as a coach. You know, um, Dips Dips has played a huge role as well in my uh, formative years. Yeah, and continues to influence mm. my young cricketers as well. I mean, stood the test of time in the changing game as well. So I guess that's credit to credit to Steve Schofield and, and Dips for doing that as well, Harry. Mm. Um, so that sort of gives the guys an idea of how it started out. Who's your biggest wicket? I'm not trying to lead you into this one. I think that's quite a decent scout, but yeah, um, I, <laughs> I don't know who you think your, your biggest. Um, who's, who's your biggest wicket? What would you say? What's your uh, I mean, this is easy, Virat Kohli. Um, but I think that nice to have got him. It was the last ball of a T20, caught deep mid-wicket. He'd already scored 120 and probably 40 of them off me. Um, but yeah, but he's in my pocket, so I'm happy with that. Um, for me, for me, for me, the best player in the world at the moment, arguably the best player ever. Mm. Interesting. What, why? Why is that with that, Curly? What's what do you just describe to, the, to describe to me what it's like when you're running up bowling at someone who who something that most of us will never get to do? You are you're at the top of your mark, and you're you have got to bowl a ball to the best batter in the world. Arguably, the biggest what you're thinking. The biggest difference when you're playing against someone who is that good or someone who's naturally an aggressive player is that you are there. You are as a bowler, more likely to bowl a poor delivery at them because of who they are and how good they are. So you put yourself under pressure. Um, so you know, basically, that um, you, when you're standing in your mark, you've got to execute your skill correctly, otherwise you can get hurt. Um, so, I, I mean, my, personally, my approach is not to be um, daunted by it and um, not to give them too much respect. I think uh, you've got to back yourself. You know, there's no one... I often say this, and it's true. Like, there's no batsman that I bowl at that scares me. Um, I know that my skills are good enough that if I execute them, then um, I will probably get the better of the batsman. Now, obviously, there are days where you don't execute them and you definitely don't get the better of the batsman. They smack you everywhere. Um, but ultimately, whether it's Kyron Powell stood there batting or Harry Gurney stood there batting, if you nail a Yorker on middle stump, it's pretty difficult for them to whack it out of ground. Mm. Um, there are some exceptions, like a Josh Butler who might paddle sweep it, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, you just you just have to you just have to back yourself and um, and and know that your best delivery, if you nail it, is good enough. I think that if you don't mind me linking it back to the previous question, I mean, you sort of said to me, you know, me, you know, you're probably better placed to answer the question, Tom. What what separates you from the rest? And I think that the, the mentality that in the way you talk about compartmentalizing your skill again your performance if it doesn't work on one day you still back yourself you know you can do it um, granted that becomes easier once you've done it a few times but I think that 
even in in your early days at 16, 17, you had that ability to move on from a poor performance or move on from a disappointment mm. quicker, than, quicker than most. I don't know if that's a fair summary. Yeah, and there's a couple of factors there. One is um, understanding that cricket's only a game and trivialising it and actually knowing that even if... So the biggest stage I play on now, right, is the IPL. So let's say I'm bowling at Virat Kohli at Eden Gardens in front of 70,000, millions watching on TV. Still, even though that feels huge, it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't matter. None of my mates, none of my mates from school barely even know how to spell cricket. They, none of them know what, you know, oh, they might see the occasional article on, on BBC Sport <laughs> or whatever, but it's not, it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah, not, usually if they've got a headline from given by you, I should think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you try and trivialise it, I guess, in your head. Um, and also what, one thing that you touched on there is a key part of my mentality and one of my key bits of advice always is um, around the execution of skills thing. So mm. I spend a lot of time in the build-up to a game, two days out and the day before, practising my skills that I know I'm going to need in that game religiously. I've got quite a strict routine. Um, and once I've worked my way through that routine, I have supreme confidence going into the game and I'm not nervous because I know that I have done everything that I could possibly do to prepare myself for that fixture. If I get smacked, I get smacked. It's not because I didn't prepare well enough. It's just because I didn't execute and you're not always going to execute. So um, that helps me then on the bad days to move on because I know, okay, it didn't work tonight, but I did all I need to do. I prepared in a world-class manner and uh, more often than not, it works. That's fascinating. Harry, just picking up on the preparation because we've got some coaches um, that have joined us today as well as players. And, and one of the questions you often get is, well, you know, how, how do world, world-class cricketers and bowlers, how do they prepare? So, for, so for quite a, it's quite a big question, so I might narrow it down for you. How would you prepare for a T20 game as a bowler? I was, I was, I was about to say, you'll have to ask a world-class bowler, mate. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, but, if you can, <laughs> but if you can, well, you know, at your skill as a T20 yeah. cricketer, how would you go about preparing? And I mean preparing in a way that when you walk over the line, you know you're mm. ready to perform. For me, it's quantifying. So everyone's got to find their own way and everyone is different, but I'm quite an analytical person. So for me, I have a relatively strict routine that I will go through. So I'll get warm. I'll bowl six hard length balls as fast as I can, six cutters, six back of the hand slow balls. And then I'll put a pad down on the line, on the Yorker line, on the crease. And I won't stop until I hit it 10 times. So it's, it's six hard length, six cutters, six back of There's three overs. And then if it takes you 20 balls to hit this pad, um, let's call it 18 balls for ease of numbers, you've bowled six overs in practice. Um, some days it, might, it takes me 30-odd balls to hit the pad 10 times. My best is 13 or 14. Um, but I count and I monitor my score because A, um, it puts pressure on me. Because I know that I'm trying to beat my PB all the time. Or if, I'm su- if I've suddenly bowled four overs, I've still not hit it ten times. Um, I'm policing my own practice. I'm putting a bit of pressure on myself. But also, 
once I've done it, I walk away feeling satisfied knowing that I'm ready for the game. Because if it took me a while, it's because I needed the practice. If I did it really quickly, it's because it's coming out well and I don't need to do it anymore. So, um, and that, that is a method that I've adapted and learned throughout my career. Um, you've got to find your own way, but that's, that's mine. And I sort of nicked it. I've developed it in my own way. But I watched um, Lasith Malinga practicing and he puts a pair of old boots down on the line. Um, yeah, it's a similar, it's a similar approach. Mm. Just, it's great advice for any of the youngsters or coaches watching, isn't it? That you know, you that keyword routine. You've got that routine. You know it. You know it works. You know if you execute it, you go into the game fully confident. And I think that the one question I've got on the back of that is, how important is it then for for players now, especially with the T Twenty cricket and the and the franchise element to it? You know, a lot of the time, you are your own coach, aren't you? And you're yep. not going to a coach might a name might be uh, managing the side as such and pulling the side together. But how important is it for you to be able to coach yourself as you travel around these competitions? But very important. I mean, I think if you can't if you can't do that, then you won't ever, or you you're unlikely to ever play in those competitions because you're unlikely to ever be good enough. If you don't grab your own career by the balls um, and work out how you want to go about it and what you want to do and how you operate. Um, If you constantly just turn up and expect the coach to tell you what you're going to do, then then life's going to be a bit more difficult for you. So um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a case of I turn up and I, I say to the coach, this is, this is how I prepare. Um, And it's always, when I play for a new team, it's always interesting first couple of days while they sort of get their heads around um, how I operate. But generally, um, the reaction is really positive. Coaches like independent in, in, independent cricketers, um, and yeah, um, often it's uh, it's the bowling coach at these franchises is really just a sort of facilitator. Really, what do you know? The good ones. What, what do you want to do? How can I make how can I make this practice? Um, how can I how can I ensure that you leave this practice session uh, having done everything that you need to do and feeling fully prepared for tomorrow? rather than turning up going, this is what you're doing today. Um, because if a coach said that to me, I would say, well, no, it's not. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the sooner you learn that, um, the better, really. That's a really great insight, Harry, into a high-level elite performers, but also elite coaches. So thanks for that. And, you know, I want to point out there as well that whilst Harry's quite flamboyant about his that he, he won't if the coach says this is what you're doing no I'm not I think it's also worth pointing out that to be able to perform and integrate as many teams as you have done you obviously you know the buy-in from yourself is there with, with what the team is looking to do so yeah and I've got a bit of a track, I've got a bit of a track record but like that the conversation never happens in reality because um all coaches bowling coaches at that level that I've encountered it's it, it's the opposite it's you know like yeah. I say they want to make sure that you leave that training session having done everything that you wanted to do and feeling fully prepared for the game the next day. Um, and that is the role of a of a coach at that level, really. Brilliant. H, thanks for that. Great game, great insight. Um, so I've talk- we spoke about this, um, we did the last couple of days, and um, bowling at the start of a T20, um, I thought there's a few key things that we could pick your brains about. So... What skills are important at the start of innings for you as a as a as a, as a bowler? Uh, well, for me, obviously, I'm 
sort of probably more renowned for my variations these days, but I think probably at the start of an innings, you're going to bowl more hard length than you would do at the end. Um, I'm not really a believer in hard length the death at all, to be honest. Um, it's rare that I'll bowl it. Batters are new to the crease. You might get a nick. You might have a slip in. Um, the pitch is slightly fresher, although they're generally pretty flat in T20 cricket. Um, in the power play, you have to be really flexible and adapt to the situation as well because you can have two completely different um, fixtures on your hands. You can have one where you're bowling the fifth over of the game and they're 10 for two. Um, and you can you can just run in and bowl hard length. Mm. Um, the alternative is you bowl the fifth over of the game and they're forty for none, and they're coming, and you know, and you know they're coming. And um, I mean, I used to love early in my career. I used to love bowling at Leicestershire. I used to bowl the first and the third over. The first over of a T twenty, if you get it right, you can sneak you can sneak a one over for three in there, something like that, and uh, it really helps the figures. But as I've as I've become more experienced, I get given the harder overs. And I'm, I'm often bowling the fifth or the sixth in the power play now. You have to assess the situation. Um, so I guess the most important skills would be A, an awareness um, of, this, of the situation and ability to um, adjust your tactics to that. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, a, uh, a bit of swing. A bit of swing early on in the T20s uh, is really valuable. And, um, yeah, if you can get any seam movement, that kind of stuff. Mm. To hit the seam and assess the situation, I think. Yeah. Just come out of that. Um, have you always been a new ball bowler or do you prefer middle overs? Or how has that changed over time for for yourself, would you say? Uh, I've always been... So I was always an opening bowler um, all the way through, even into my Leicestershire days, I think, from memory. Mm. When I moved to Notts, I opened the bowling a fair few times. This is in red ball cricket, I'm thinking, initially. Um and then probably the second half of my time at Notts, I was more often than not a first change bowler once Andre Adams retired. Um, and I actually preferred that in red ball cricket. Um, in T20 cricket, I pretty much always, and, and 50 over cricket, pretty much always opened the bowling and bowled at the death, really. There was one season, 2017, we won the one day comp uh, for Notts, um, beat Surrey in the final. And um, that year we had Broad um, and Pattinson available, James Pattinson available for the whole competition. So um, I'll never forget, Fletch and I opened the bowling throughout the whole comp pretty much and Broadie and Pato bowled first change and no one could ever understand it from from outside of our group. But um, what we knew is that if, if Fletch and I got us off to a good start, uh, then we were going to make life extremely difficult for oppositions because they had... Uh, Stuart Broad coming on one end and James Pattinson coming on the other. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an interesting prospect for batters, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah thanks, Larry. So <clears throat> it's a question I'm interested in. I threw in there that I thought would be interesting as well for people to hear. But talk us about talk, talk to us about coming round the wicket um, as a left armer. Um, yeah. Something I wish I'd done earlier on into my career, actually. I think particularly as a left armour, you are brought up um, and there's an expectation that you're going to swing it back into right-handers right over the wicket. That's just what the left armers do. Um, and um, it's starting to change, but certainly for my formative years, that was that was the expectation. And in my younger years, I used to do it, as you've already touched on. Um, in recent years, not, not as much. But um, when I come round the wicket, I, 
I mean, I remember chatting to people like Andre Adams, who used to, used to get five for every game for Knights, and Brody, um, obviously, that when he took that eight for 15 or whatever it was at Trent Bridge, a lot of that was round the wickets left-handers, which is the equivalent of me round the wickets right-handers. Um, and for me, if I can round the wicket and angle the ball in an off stump from, from mid-crease, um, I do have an, a natural ability to move it away from um, right-handers from that angle. And I think it, it, it makes me very difficult to leave. Whereas when the ball isn't swinging, when I bowl over the wicket, they know that they can leave any ball pitching off stump or outside. Whereas from round the wicket, I angle it in. They've got, because of the angle, they feel like the ball's coming in at them. They feel like they've got to play at it. And if it, if it leaves them, then they nick off. Um, so I think it was a stat last couple of years of my red ball career. I had, uh, I think I averaged 30 over the wicket to right-handers with the ball and 20 round the wicket to right-handers. Um, so I wish I'd known that 15 years ago. Mm. I think from a batter's perspective, it's, when you pose that challenge, it's, it's the change in angle more than anything because as a batter, you're looking to line the ball up and line your head up. And like you said there, Harry, um, for those who tuned in last week, Truscothic talked about head and hands working together. Well, mm. the, the, the paradox of that is try and get your head and hands working together if you've got a guy bowling round the wicket left arm taking it away from you. Mm. Um, and I and think- tailenders hate it as well. Tailenders hate it because they feel like it's coming at them. They absolutely hate it. Yeah. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, batting. We'll come to your batting in a minute. Um, yeah. what, what, we've spoke about this really. What's your ideal length to bowl in the first six overs? You've said, well, you said not so much the hard length now. What is your ideal length, do you think? In the first six? Yeah. Yeah, probably your first port of call is hard length at that time because there might be a bit of grass on the pitch. The batters are new to the crease. Um, you might get a little bit of swing or a bit of seam movement while the ball's hard, but you have to adapt quickly. Like I say, if they're, if they're 40 for none um, and you're running a ball length or hard length, you're going to get smacked. So you then have to go to your variations. You have to, you have to risk a Yorker. The Yorker is a, is, a, um, is a tricky ball to bowl at the best of times, but in the power play even more so because you've only got two sweepers. And, uh, you know, as a batter, you know, anything that lands sort of 12 inches short of a Yorker length, it's pretty easy to dispatch. So, um, yeah, generally you want to try and stick to hard length if you can. But batters are adapting over the years. You know, there was a time where if you ran in uh, for the first half of my career, if you ran in and bowled decent pace, middle stump, hard length, um, the batters wouldn't really get you away. Well, that isn't the case anymore. You know, these lads come in and, and play baseball now. Um, so you can't be too predictable but the ideal length I mean there isn't an answer to that because I don't think you can run in and bowl the same length every ball otherwise you will get you will get you'll get met um, but uh, you would use hard length during that period okay well, that's great thanks for that vary the length would be the answer I suppose so I guess the next one is sort of bowling the final owners um, what your go-to deliveries I've put it at the end of the game but if the batter's going after you, so for people who are tuning in who are coaches here or bowlers, and there's a lot of mixed advice we give or we get given, I guess. What are your go-to deliveries? Do you have any theories or principles that you um, go by? Yeah, I do. Again, on this, I think people have to find their own way. For me, I will never bowl a length ball on purpose in the death overs, ever. Um, I will either bowl, not a pace on length ball. So I'll either bowl a back of the hand slower ball, a cutter. They're my only two slower balls. 
Um, I bowl them from over the wicket and round the wicket. I bowl them wide. I bowl them straight um, to both left-handers and right-handers. Um, so there are a lot of variations within them. You can occasionally bowl it short as well, slow ball bouncer. Um, the most important ball to master, I mean, I don't think anyone really ever masters it, but the most important ball to get as good as you possibly can at it would be the Yorker. Um, I think there was a period where it, it really went out of fashion and um, bowlers didn't like bowling it. And it's because of the margin for error. You know, if you miss, you often do disappear. Um, but in the same breath, it, if you nail it, it's very, very effective. Um, so, yeah, go-to delivery, always a Yorker, if in doubt. If it's a big clutch moment, pretty much always a Yorker. Um, and I've got a couple of slower balls that I use. Uh, I'll occasionally use a bouncer. If it's a low or middle order batter, particularly, or a new batsman to the crease. Um, but you will never see me running a bowl a length ball or a hard length ball at the day, ever, on purpose. Mm. Higher, I think what's come out of that is sort of higher risk, maybe, but higher reward. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, and that's why I practice, practice those skills so religiously the day before the game, because if you can get good at doing them, um, it, makes you, it, it, it inevitably gives you success eventually over a long period of time, and, and you get your rewards for that then. Perfect. Um, I think we've covered that one about the York, but you know, something that you've had to work on, but and then with your routines there, and you've also answered our variations. So, um, this is one thing I'd like to touch on though, Harry. This was sent in by um, young Ben uh, Lear, I think, actually, who won't mind me saying, but um, how do you develop confidence to do these? variations so when it really matters how can you we often get asked don't we, as coaches you know how can you how can I improve my confidence to deliver a skill very simply Harry you know in a simple term how would you if you were feeling low on confidence and you needed to improve it quickly what would you do um so there are three things really I've already touched on two of them in an earlier question um trivialize it it's not important no one cares um, could be the IPL final. You ask someone in the street in England what happened in the IPL final yesterday. They're not going to know. Um, it isn't as it's never as big a deal as you think. Um, firstly, secondly, it's important to flip and frame your mindset differently from uh, "I'm under the pump. I'm under pressure. God, I hope I execute my skill here." Uh, or, God, this is a daunting scenario. What you need to do is have the attitude of what a great opportunity this is for me to be a hero. So um, if I get chucked the ball last over of a T20 at Trent Bridge and uh, they need eight to win off the last over, um, I'm never nervous in the slightest because um, what an opportunity that is. If I get smacked for two fours, first two balls of the over, no one's going to demonize me or say that I threw the game away but if I defend that eight runs I'm a hero so it's a great opportunity and finally and probably the most important is the preparation thing you know just have a have a pre-match routine two days out a day out the day of the game that you go through which gives you confidence that you've done everything in your power that you could have done and then it, that, that is so um 
blissful almost because you can blissfully go into the game thinking whatever happens now happens I've done everything I've done everything I could have done in preparation so I think from an ECB point of view the one of the criteria and one of the things that the coaches have spoken to about about elite players is uh, flipping um, threat to challenge and I think that's what you're exactly evidently talking about there is that you know there's a threat, but how can you perceive the threat differently and challenge yourself? And yeah. that's, inv- that's gold dust, I think, for coaches and bowlers that are listening in today, Harry. So mm. that, thanks for that. I, we really appreciate that. Um, interesting. Um, fielding. Yeah. Um, I can see you smiling, Harry. Um, how important is it in the modern game? <laughs> uh, increasingly so I mean you don't get you don't get many fielders like me these days um, can you elaborate on that well I'd, everyone can field everyone can all bowlers all young bowlers now can field they're whippets in the field and all young bowlers they can all bat as well um, I'm a bit of a dying breed really but um, I think it's becoming increasingly important uh, I think it's um, just the new normal really, um, that everyone can field. And um, in the not-too-distant future, there'll be, there'll, you know, there'll be a time where no one really stands out, I don't think, in the field for being particularly poor, um, like perhaps uh, you might argue I have done it once or twice, Tom. Um, but I also, <laughs> think, I, I also do think there's a balance to be found. Um, I think sometimes the less successful teams that I've been involved in focus in general, I'm not saying this necessarily with regard to fielding, they focus in general on less important things. So, uh, I don't know, let's make sure we wear the right polo shirts turn up at the ground or uh, let's make sure we have a meeting and talk about the opposition batters in a, in a huge amount of depth or um, let's hop over these hurdles in the warm-up to get our bodies, you know, the best teams, what the best teams do is they focus on the things that are going to win them games. And actually, more often than not, that is batting and bowling. And yes, of course, fielding is important. Um, but I guess the point I'm making is there's a balance. I think some coaches get a little bit carried away with it and a little bit giddy with it. But there is certainly a, a huge place for it. And uh, as I say, I'm a dying breed. I think <clears throat> on the back of that as well, two examples to support your point there. You look at Essex that won the county championship and North Ants winning the T20 like you said there, might not um, be the, at the forefront of the um, uh, S&C or the fitness results or, mm. you know, but actually uh, they found a way, didn't they? And they got good at their skills and I think. This is uh, it. And, you know, when, when, North Ants, when North Ants won the T20, they've got someone like a Richard Levy, for example, going in, smacking it. Not, not, not your stereotypical professional athlete's physique, right? Yeah. But... Um, he smacks the ball out the ground. That's important. That's more important. You'd rather have that than someone off the North Ants Academy playing who is the most incredible athlete, an unbelievable fielder, but can't hit the ball. So, um, yeah, there's a balance. You've, you've, you've got to get the balance right. But, yes, it's becoming a prerequisite to be a good fielder. And I think, as I say, natural evolution of the game is that um, is such that I, you know, Fielders like me won't exist much longer. That's very honest, sorry, but um, for the guys listening. H next playing for England. Um, 
where were you when you found out? Because they say, don't they, the most significant uh, events in your life. You can always pinpoint where you were at that time. Um, where were you when you found out you, you were playing? Um, I was in Australia, actually. So I'd gone over to um, Melbourne to train. Luke Fletcher was out there playing club cricket. Steve Mullaney was out there playing for us, the same club. They were living just down the road from each other. Um, and Fletch basically WhatsApp me and said, why don't you come over and train for a month? This is sort of January, January time. Um, and I was obviously in a cold gym in Nottingham. So I thought, he said, there's a bed, there's a spare bed in the house I'm in. Just get, get your flight over and you can come and train with us and all this kind of stuff. So um, I thought, sod it, I'll go. So I went, um, I paid for my own flight, flew over. And uh, when I arrived, the spare bed that he had earmarked for me was a hospital bed in a spare room in the house that he was living in because the bloke, there'd been a bloke who'd been, had some sort of medical condition that had needed a hospital bed. Anyway, he didn't need it anymore. So I was sleeping on a hospital bed, um, which was a bit random. And uh, yeah, I think I'd been there about a week or 10 days uh, when the call came. I remember going and bowling at the Melbourne Stars um, a couple of days before and Luke Wright was there and he said, I think you're going to be picked for the West Indies tour. And I did feel like I was close, to be honest. I felt like I'd been in and around the setup um, for a couple of years and probably should have played or been selected already at that point. Uh, and he was right. That call came um, not long afterwards. But that, um, interestingly, I was the previous November, I was in Australia. Um, I think that was my second visit to Australia that winter. The, I'd, I'd been there in November with the Ashes tour. Um, myself and Tamar Mills went over to bowl at the England boys prior to those ashes and I can remember sitting with Jeff Miller at the SCG um, and England were playing a warm-up game um, just prior to the, the test series and I sat with him and I said um, why have you not picked me for in T20 cricket um, and he said well you know you're close you're in the mix and I said Jeff I'm better than all of this lot at T20 cricket you've got here. I'm better than everyone that you've picked in the last two years. Have a look at my stats. And um, sort of quite out of character for me, really. Anyway, within six months, I was on an England tour. So uh, maybe maybe it uh, made him more aware of, of uh, what I was doing. But um, yeah, that was sort of how it worked out. That's, that's great. Great little story, Harold. Thanks for sharing that. What's your favourite memory of playing for England? Um, 2014 playing against India at Edgbaston in a T20 and um, I closed out the game bowling at uh, Dhoni and is it Rohit Sharma maybe? No it wasn't Rohit Sharma Dhoni and oh, I can't remember well, The fact Dhoni was at one end probably Oh well, yeah exactly Yeah, Dhoni, <laughs> Dhoni was batting um, and he was sort of in his pomp as well at that, at that time as a finisher um, and I bowled the, I think the seventeenth and nineteenth over, um, and uh, and closed the game out. Um, and uh, yeah, the feel that night was uh, that night was a great night. But um, such a you know, pulling on an England shirt is just um, the biggest privilege of my life. You know, to, to represent my country and have those three lines on my chest. As I say, I, um, I said recently on social media, it was six years since my. England debut recently and I did have to uh, I still have to pinch myself now to say I've, I've played for England and I've opened the bowling for England with Jimmy Anderson it's bizarre 
Um, I think you've read these slides, I think. Um, do you, would you aim to play for England again? Is that your aim now or are your sights elsewhere? No, it's not really. Um, I think when I got dropped at the end of 2014 or early 2015, early 2015, I think it was, um, I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to become bitter. I think coming through in club cricket, you know, Tom, from some of the blokes we played against in our early years, um, blokes that had played a bit of county second team cricket and felt that uh, they should have been a pro, but um, they were unlucky or um, wrong place, wrong time, or their face didn't fit. And I hate that attitude. I, I hate the attitude of uh, the woe is me attitude. And I think county cricket has similar personalities in it as well, who moan to the media about international selection constantly who feel hard done by constantly. So I decided I wasn't going to be one of those. Um, I actually didn't think it was particularly unlucky that I was dropped from the um, 50 over team either, um, if I'm honest. And um, so no, no, no issues with that. I think to have only played two T20 internationals for England, I'm a bit unlucky. I think um, having just said, I'm not going to moan about it. Um, I think I, I think I think I should have played more for England in those in that format particularly. Um, I said as much to the selectors when they uh, when they called me to drop me. Um, but that being said, I'm so proud that I played for England twelve times. Like I say, it's still uh, it's still still something I have to pinch myself about, and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing, playing franchise cricket around the world. It's um, it's given me a great deal of sort of balance to my life. Um, I'm traveling, I'm meeting some amazing people and I'm earning some good money as well at the same time, which, um, you know, I'll be honest, is, uh, it's important. Yeah, I hope everyone that's joined us today, you know, feels they've probably got to know you and your personality a bit more. And I think the, you, the, the way you comprehend things and, and sort of your matter of fact approach probably gives people an insight into how you manage to um, perform and do the things you've done at the level you've done because it's evident that it comes through in your character, um, mm. H, to those that are listening. Give, give us one lesson then from your time around the England camp. What, what's the one thing that you've taken forward? You talk about drawing a line and not being bitter, but what's the one lesson you've taken forward from that experience? Um, probably do it your way. Um, I think when you go into a new environment, whether it be a franchise team or whether it be you're 12, you've just been picked for the county under 12s or whether you've been recognised and picked, picked for England or whatever, whatever that new environment might be, um, continue doing what you've done to get you there. Don't, don't suddenly start changing because um, what you've done to get you there is, is good enough. So despite the fact um, I only played 12 times for England, so you could argue, well, perhaps what I did wasn't good enough to get me there. I, I would like to think that since my England days, what I've achieved in franchise cricket would suggest that um, that I'm not a bad T20 cricketer. And um, yeah, stick to stick to what's got you there because um, you don't need to change anything. You're good enough. If you're there, you're good enough. Twelve times more than many will ever do, Harry. So I think that you know them twelve caps you can you can treasure. So just sort of coming on to next, um, next sort of playing in the IPL because it's something that that. As you say, for those who aren't involved, who have never been involved, there's almost a bubble, isn't there, that, that seems to be created when these, when this tournament takes place in India. And what is it about the IPL? 
for those who have just not experienced that or never been to watch or you can only get so much on telly. So what is, what is it about the IPO? I think it's the fanaticism of the fan base, the size of it and the fanaticism. Um, so with that comes a huge amount of money through TV rights, through ticket sales, merchandise, all that kind of stuff. With that comes glitz, glamour, five-star hotels, uh, business class travel, um, crowds of people waiting in airports when you, when you land, um, people crowding around outside the hotel every time you leave or you come back. It's, um, it's just an amazing, well-oiled machine over there. Um, well-oiled machine, which is incredibly well-followed. And you feel like it's like being a, a, a Premier League footballer. It's like being a top Premier League footballer for a, for a couple of months. It's, um, it's amazing. You know, it's, uh, it really is a, an amazing experience to go and play in it. I'm so pleased that I, that I have, because if you'd said to me as a 21, 22 year old in my last year days that I would, that I would play in the IPR, God, I'd have laughed at you. But it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity you've taken, isn't it? I think that yeah. that can be learned. We can all learn from that. Um, this is a question you often, those who are skeptical about the IPR, you know, they'll sort of say there's no, it's quite soulless and, you know, it's a random group of players coming together. Perhaps they don't appreciate the, the quality of skills that, you know, that are on show technically. From your side, playing in that, it, that's maybe the fans' view. But as a player, what is it like coming and joining up with a group of blokes that you don't maybe play with that often or know that well? What's that like? It's funny. You pretty quickly form a, mm. uh, a real loyalty to the team that you're playing for. Um, it's strange, I don't know whether it's our sort of human instinct, but um, yeah, you come into a group, everyone gets the same kit, you, you train together a few times and, and it becomes important all of a sudden. Um, so there's that. And also the fact that, you know, once you've been to one of these franchise competitions, you've sort of, um, you've met a lot of the circuit. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of the same faces wherever you go. So my first introduction to it was the, the T10. Um, where there are, were eight teams, I think it was, all you know, probably 15, 16, 17 players in each squad, eight teams, all in the same hotel in Dubai. Um, and so you go to breakfast and there's like Chris Gale sat there and, and Kyron Pollard just over the other side or whatever, and, it, and you think, wow. But once you've been to a couple of these competitions, you sort of get used to it and you get to know these, these guys. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, the first time you do it, maybe slightly daunting, but once you uh, once you get used to it, as I say, every new team you turn up at, there's, there's, there's faces you recognise and people you've played with or against um, plenty of times. Right, oh, perfect. I think we've sort of covered the thing about the environment and what it feels like and the difference in that um, in a previous one. Big Bash or IPL, though? Just as a straight question. Um, God, it just depends... <laughs> It depends. Uh, need more context to the question. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Big bash, the big bash, winning that big bash um, was. That's what I was alluding to. Sorry, that, yeah, that's kind of what winning it. Yeah, <laughs> well, playing in it and winning, winning the big bash was um, one of the highlights of my career. One of the highlights of my life. You know, I was over there with uh, my wife and my young son were there, and um, the big bash again is a competition like the IPL that I'd watched and admired from afar for a long time and never uh, even really dreamt that I'd be good enough to go and play. And so to find myself playing in the Big Bash final in a Melbourne derby and 
to go on and win it was, uh, you know, just the stuff of the dreams, as I say. Um, Australia as a place to us from um, the UK is a lot more familiar in terms of its cultures. So um, it's easier to, to mould into life over there. You get your own car, you get involved in the local um, community. Whereas in the IPL, it's, it's hotel, aeroplane, um, and uh, everything's put on for you. So two very different experiences, but um, absolutely love them both. And actually, it'd be difficult for me to pick one, if I'm honest. No, that's great. It gives guys an insight into, into both. Right, next one, Harry, sort of quick fire, really. Um, I'd say it's a quick fire round when I'm game show, but um, <laughs> just some quick fire. Now, that that those who know you, I'd say that's your sort of um, native position, really, where you're quite at ease. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know about that, but um, <laughs> and for those who don't know, that's one of Harry's business ventures down there on the bottom right. Um, how important is it for you to take time away from cricket? I know you spoke about the rain days and rest, but for yourself, yeah. I mean, I'm not naturally a, a stressy or anxious person. To be honest, I've never really had a period where I've thought, God, I need a break from cricket. But, I mean, your career is naturally punctuated anyway because you have, as a county cricketer in my earlier years, every winter was off. Um, and then even now in the world that I'm in now, I have gaps where I'm not playing cricket. So I get, naturally get those breaks. That might be a, a reason that I've never had a desire for it. But also, I have always had other interests and things that have occupied my mind away from the game. So... Um, well, it's funny you say that, Harry, because this almost leads us on to our next question, if you don't mm. mind me um, popping in there. And um, did you almost retire early to pursue a career in poker? Yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have technically been retirement. It would have been, I got released yeah. by Leicestershire. So I got released by Leicestershire and then re signed. Um, this would have been 2008 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but that winter between being released and then the following summer going back on trial and earning a contract again, I was playing poker professionally. I was, I had a sponsorship and um, I was, the, the company were putting $500 in my account every day. I would play poker all day. At the end of the day, if I was up, they would take the profit away. If I was down, they would top it back up. And then at the end of the month, we would split the profit. And then um, I ran really badly, lost, lost money three months in a row and got sacked from that as well. So I'd been sacked from cricket but I got sacked as a poker player. Um, so I thought, well, I better give cricket another go. Um, and no one was queuing up to, uh, to sign me. So I went back uh, with my tail between my legs to Leicestershire and, and went back on trial and ended up getting signed again. But um, just touching on poker briefly, actually, because it is relevant yeah. to my career as well, is I think Texas Hold'em, uh, for those that know and understand the game well, I would credit Texas Hold'em with... Um, a lot of my ability to make calm decisions under pressure because at a poker table um, you are presented with lots of different scenarios um, and you are under pressure and you're under time pressure um, because there's money on the line often and there's a clock ticking so um, yeah I do I do think you know assessing situations and making calm decisions under pressure I would probably credit Texas Holden with uh, with a lot of that. Of course for those younger listeners that are listening obviously you can also do various other things like rope climbing and things that involve um, having to make decisions under pressure, but not just gambling. But oh, Harry, no, look, no, no, no. <laughs> that's no, a great, you know, no. it's a great, it's a great insight, and it's really, you know, again, the the candid sort of honesty in, in what you're saying there. So I knew that was quite influential for you. Mm. Um, how's life as a publican then? Yeah, I love it. Um, I love business. I'd, I'd love. You know, I've said a couple of times recently. I've 
spent the last 15 years, the last 20, 20 odd years actually doing something that I love. And I think I've found something um, that I love as much, if not more to now move on to after I've finished playing cricket. And I feel really fortunate in that regard because I don't think everyone is that lucky. Um, so I just love business. Um, I do love hospitality. I do love pubs, but um, I just love business in general. As I'm sure people have gathered from um, this chat so far, I'm quite independent the way I go about my practice in cricket. Um, and um, and that's the same in business. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to have a boss. Uh, you know, I, I am my boss. So um, I'm quite well suited to it. And yeah, just excited to get stuck into it. Um, already getting stuck into it, spending most of my time now during lockdown working on stuff behind the scenes but um yeah i can't wait to uh to get stuck into that and one or two other projects full-time once once i hang the boots up yeah we can't really imagine Stuart broad selecting a fine ale i'm not sure that's his forte is it no he's all right at drinking them yeah Uh, (laughs) he's more he's more of a red wine man Brody. but um yeah don't ever get him to pour you a pint he's hopeless um but uh yeah he's uh he's good fun I think that's a really important point just to elaborate on there for, for the coaches and players that are watching young players because you having having had these other things, um, quite often young players will be for, uh, driven towards, you know, cricket, 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 everything's cricket related. And cr- crumbs, I look back and I can probably be guilty of that myself. But I think that you look at guys who have come out the game successfully and made what they call a... Um, seamless transition I think that you know it's evident to see someone like yourself you've got all this going on um, around your cricket career and I think that's admirable for those who are pursuing a career in the game to keep half an eye on on life after I don't know if you saw in the news recently the article on Aaron Haranath very similar um, Surrey cricketer and how he's kept his options open post cricket I think it's really important and and you can see that, can't you? The guys that are, that are on the professional circuit, the ones that, that are planning ahead and the ones that aren't. Yeah, the PCA are great with that as well. They're really helpful um, with guys helping to plan for life after cricket. I think everyone hits 30. I mean, I've always been really preoccupied with life after cricket. Um, but I think everyone sort of hits 30 and thinks, God, what, what next? Um, and the PCA are there to, to, help with that, to help with that transition and there are transition conferences and all this kind of stuff. So, mm. uh, they're really good with that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's probably no coincidence really that since I started the business, I've had probably the most successful phase of my career. I think um, that ability to switch off and focus on something different has probably probably helped. Great advice. Um, any such business ventures planned as part of the, the Gurney Group Limited? Um, well, I mean, there's, the, there's that, there's the pub company that I would like to continue to expand as and, thing, as and when things settle down again. Um, Maybe one or two other little projects in the pipeline, but um, I mean, I'm open. I'm open to uh, to getting involved in stuff as well. As I say, I'm 33, so um, I'm not going to play forever. And um, you know, I've got uh, I've got a mortgage to pay. So yeah, perfect, Harry. Um, being very generous with your time today, we really appreciate this. I've just got one more um, question. I think it will lead nicely into sort of a couple of open questions as well. Mm. Um, That was one of your quotes to come out of the media, so I'm not quoting anything here that wasn't said. However, like I've put, I'm obviously aware the above is just a headline, um, where it may well have been taken slightly out of context, no doubt, knowing what the the great British media are like. But 
in all seriousness, what are your thoughts on the future of the game and that, that statement? Well, I mean, I think, as you've probably gathered, I'm fairly commercial-minded uh, as a business owner. I think the future of any professional sport will be dictated by commercial viability. Um, and grounds are... Ultimately, I think shorter formats are going to take over. And I think that is going to happen because test crowds are already, in most places around the world, dwindling quite significantly. Um, and I read a stat the other day. when Every time Virat Kohli scores a IPL 50, there are 10 times more social media impressions than when he scores a 50 in a test match. Um, now, the people that are engaging with social media um, are the future followers of our game. Um, and for that reason, you can see that that is where the game is going. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm not happy about it, but I'm a pragmatist. pragmatist. I, think, I, think, I think test cricket's probably dying, to be honest. Um, I think it's just the evolution of the game. I think it uh, comes down to commercial viability, as I say. If you ask me which format do I think is the pinnacle at the moment, I would say test cricket still. Um, I think Virat Kohli came out and said similar recently, but that's sort of inevitable because we all grew up with test cricket as the number one, didn't we? Um, it's interesting, where, Harry, because that's a headline that, that interesting that the media don't pick that headline for yourself, that you've no. been quoted saying that test cricket is the pinnacle because they're more interested in what your, as you say, your pragmatic views on T20 are there. Um, yeah, well, that's that's the media for you, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, they're only doing their job, aren't they? They're trying to they're trying to get clicks, I guess. Um, but um, I mean, the you know, ask a ten year old, ask a ten year old today. I mean, you probably work with uh, junior cricketers a fair bit. You know, ask them ask them what their favourite format is. I mean, I've I've asked a fair few, and I think um, I think people would be surprised. Yeah, interesting. Championship cricket is there a future for it? Yeah, all the time, Test cricket still exists. Yeah. Um, as soon as India decide that they're not going to play Test cricket anymore, um, <laughs> that will be the end. That is the end of Test cricket. And as soon as the Test cricket ends, and there is no need for Championship cricket anymore because it makes a huge loss. Um, it is there and it is subsidised by the Test game um, to provide Test cricketers. So as soon as Test cricket disappears, then so will Championship cricket, in my opinion. Nice. Excellent. I guess that sort of leads nicely on to a, a trivia, a, a debate that we could spend hours on, but I don't necessarily want to. What's your, what's your summary on that, Harry? Is there are there too many counties in your opinion? Well, I would say it's not for me to say really whether there are. I think, as I've touched on earlier, are there? Is it commercially viable for there to be eighteen? Um, that that sort of gives you your answer probably. Um, if you're asking me, will, do I think there will be 18 professional counties in 10 years' time? No, probably not. No, and the number of professional players, I guess that's something, isn't it, that we've seen staff staff cut from sort of 25 to 18. And actually, there is an argument this is good for the game because it means that guy, young guys who are getting signed on at 18 are actually now getting a decent run of second eleven cricket. Whereas before, if all the squad was fit of 25... You'd have you'd have youngsters who won't get a game. So there's, a, there's there's two sides to this, isn't there? What's your view? I guess the flip side to that there's a heavier schedule. Um, you need squad rotation. The richer counties can do that. Can the game support the size of the squads at, at the counties if, if there's 18 counties? Well, I think probably the caveat with all these discussions at the moment is that the current situation that we're in 
the unprecedented nature of it means that it's difficult to answer any of these questions. I think um, we're not going to know for months, maybe even years, what the implications are of COVID-19. So um, we will see. I mean, I've given you um, my view on where I thought the game was going. Um, Mm. I still think the game is going. Whether this disaster accelerates it, slows it down, um, all remains to be seen, but it's going to be interesting. Look, Harry, I do appreciate your honesty on this and I could not resist that photo. Um, <laughs> take what you'd like from that. That's superimposed. It looks like something out of the, the Beano or something, really, mate. But um, I know it, it isn't, obviously, it hadn't started the competition, but that was you for the Trent Rockets. But um, yeah. is there any guys that, that have listened in today? Um, I'm sure you'll appreciate Harry's honesty, the way he's spoken, the way he's articulated himself and the answers he's given. Um a lot of us will have, will have heard new new bits there from him. We'll have had things confirmed. Would anyone like a, like to hop in and ask a question now, please, Harry? I'd love to, Tom. Jonesy, you're a star. I was banking on you asking. <laughs> um, well, my, cha- my questions changed as we've gone through. It's Andrew Jones. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> to hear about your biz- the, the business insight. Um, I talked to a lot of sportsmen about about business and how. And how they and they move into into business and and I hear hear a, a classic line is always um, leaders are readers. Are you a book reader? Yeah, um, I've done a lot of reading over the years, and I'm, now more recently, I'm a listener. Now I listen to audio books. Yeah, yeah. So um, any anything recently that um, that you've that you've read or listened to that's uh... the best the best business book I've read recently, maybe ever, is this <laughs> straight off the show. Which is that one? Yeah, Oversubscribed, it's called, by Dan Priestley. Oh. Uh, I've read it three times and like put notes in it and all sorts. I think it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, out of the most recent books I've read, it would be that one. Fantastic. That's, that's great because I, I, you know, I say to all the youngsters that I coach and I also say to a lot of people that who work for me in the company, and reading is such an important part of, of, of developing your mindset, your thought processes, and there's some incredible books out there. Um, and, and I was just really interested to find out because of the way you've developed your career, whether you were, whether you were a reader. There's a lot of people that aren't, but it is absolutely fascinating to hear that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Andrew, for that. Scott, I believe you've got a quick question. Scott's raised their hand. Do you want to just unmute yourself? Yeah. All right, mate. Perfect. Yeah. Crack on. Uh, hi, Aaron. Uh, just a quick question, mate. Uh, my son's yeah. a fast bowler. And yeah. He's noticed in the last six months with him having a growth spurt and all the rest of it, he's kind of put him off his action. Did you ever go for anything similar and how did you combat it? Um, there was one, yeah, there was one season where I had to stop bowling for pretty much the whole summer. I was, I think I was 12, quite early on actually. I had a bit of a back issue. Um, but fortunately, it sort of cleared up pretty quickly. I did a lot of, I can remember doing loads of glute work with the physio at the time. And it cleared up pretty quickly. But in terms of losing my rhythm as a bowler, no. I can't think of any specific times, but I always say to bowlers who are struggling with rhythm, count your steps and you run up or sing a song while you're running into bowl. So, um, uh, you know, run to the beat of the song in your head or count your steps so that it's rhythmical. A, um, it helps with rhythm because it's rhythmical, but B, it... Uh, distracts your mind because as we all know the mind's the mind's an amazing thing and it can run off and start thinking about all sorts and start thinking about too much technical stuff and you don't need any of that 
stuff in your head when you're bowling. So, uh, tell him to try that one. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Thanks for that, Scott. That's great. Because those who listened in to Triscothic last week, Harry, um, Trez gave exactly the same bit of advice when he was trying to, uh, when he was batting about, you know, reciting words and singing to himself to distract himself, um, you know, to free his instincts up. So, really interesting that. Um, I believe Adil's got a question. Adil, would you like to ask your question? Adil? Just trying to work this thing. Um, (laughs) Oh, nearly. Is that working? Yeah. All right. Um, Having played for various franchises, which team would you say you enjoyed for playing the most and why? Thanks, Adil. Oh, good question. I mean, the Melbourne Renegades that year we won it was just amazing. Like I say, because of the country that you're in, it's, it's similar culturally to here. But my number one cricketing experience, I'd have to say, would probably be IPL playing for KKL. The um, it's just a, it's just a different beast to everything else. It's 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 a real. You don't realise it watching on TV here how big a deal it is um, when you get over there and you see the crowds and the fanaticism. It's unbelievable. Perfect. Harry, thanks for that, Adil. Thanks for that question coming in. Um, Martin Henderson, quick one. I've got time for a couple more, please, guys. Martin Henderson. Martin, do you want to meet yourself, Harry? Hello. Here we go. Thank you, Andrew. Um How do you uh, like go through the, you know, the, how noisy the stadiums are and like, when you play the IPL, how do you block it all out? In the pressure and bowling at the end, um, the you just like I said, you sort of get used to playing in front of big crowds and playing in front of uh, in front of cameras. To be honest, um, but in terms of the noise, is an interesting dimension actually, because no matter how noisy it gets in an English game, you know, finals day at Edgebaston, for example, um, twenty five thousand people on a stag do, that's noisy, but. It's nothing quite like India, the deafening noise of India. So, yeah, I mean, it's just you just have to adapt, really. And um, there's a lot of sign language going on. And in terms of actually focusing on what I'm doing, um, it's all about prep. As I touched on earlier, it's all about prep. Just make sure you're ready for the game. And then all I judge myself on after a game now is decision-making, not execution, ever. Because I know I'm doing everything I can to execute well. What annoys me is when I make poor decisions. Perfect. Hi, thanks for that. Um, final one, Gabriel or Alex, would you like to ask your question? Gabriel or Alex, one of you guys. Do you want to mute yourself and ask Harry? I'm hoping that we have a, we have one of these guys that would like to. Let's yeah, have Gabriel. Um, yep. Who have we got? Gabriel, perfect. Um, what was the best batsman that, or what has been the best batsman you've ever bowled against in your career so far? Uh, Virat Kohli. Perfect. Well, I think we covered that one earlier as well, didn't we, Harry? So we've had, that's definitely been cemented. Alex, yeah. do you want to ask yours briefly, if you've got, you've got your moment? Because that was a quick fire one. No? Yes? Do we have him? Alex? Oh, I'm not sure we do. Okay, no worries. Um, I know we've um, oh. got one from Harry Funnel, Tom, to finish. Yeah, okay. Harry, do you want to just ask Hi, Tom. How you Hi, doing? Tom. Hi, Harry. Uh, so, 
just like to say that I think the webinar so far has been great. I've uh, really enjoyed it. Um, this might be a sort of similar answer to what you answered to Scott's question, but I'm a scene bowler myself, and I find some days you uh, you you rock up and your your body feels great and you feel light and you send a few down and they swing and they nip, and other times you run in and you try and bowl as fast as you can, and the seam comes out awful and you're bowling mm. slower than you have done previously. I was just wondering how how do you feel on sort of those those bad days if if you have them? Uh, what do you do to try and uh, sort of combat them? Because I know personally you can get very frustrated if you're trying to run in bowl bowl as fast as you can and you're mm. not bowling as well as you have done. Thanks, sorry. Great um, great question. Good question. Good name as well. Um, there's probably a couple of things I would say. I think one thing that Mick Newell taught me has taught me at Knotts is that um, never to feel sorry for yourself. So when you have those days where you're bowling uphill into the wind or uh, you've not had much sleep because there was a wedding going on in the hotel or um, you've got a niggle or whatever, um, Mick is quite abrupt and harsh about it. But he essentially says no one cares, nobody cares. Um, and it's true. You know, when people go on to Crick Info or BBC Sport or whatever and have a look at your figures, they don't care about any of that stuff. We don't care if we go and watch Leicester, whether Jamie Vardy's was up all night because one of his kids is ill. We don't know or care. Um, so I guess to an extent, there's, there's that mental toughness of, um, okay, you have good days and bad days, let's get through it. From a physical perspective, there are certainly days as a, as a professional bowler playing four-day cricket where the body um, limits you, makes things more difficult, makes things harder. And um, one of the biggest bits of advice on that I could give, I hope it goes some way to answer the question, would be to, I used to go to, for the second half of my career, I used to go to the swimming pool every morning. Um, so if I fielded all day and bowled 18, 20 overs um, and woke up feeling like I've been hit by a bus, go and get in the swimming pool for... 10, 15 minutes to jog a few lengths and have a stretch in there. And it's amazing how much better it, it makes you feel and, and gets your body going. So there's no reason why an amateur cricketer couldn't, couldn't try something similar on a Saturday morning to get their body going and, and ready for the day. No, brilliant. Thank you. That's uh, answered what Pleasure. I was here. Brilliant. Cheers. Question, Look, guys, that about wraps us up for today. Um, what's left really is to say a huge thanks to Harry. Um, I'm sure you'd agree he's been a fantastic um, guy to have on today. Certainly, it's been fascinating to listen to him. I, as, as we know, um, cricket badger myself and love talking cricket. I could, could carry on chatting all day long. But Harry, look, thanks very much for your time. Um, Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And thanks for your honesty. I think I think that's what, what shines through and, and the way you speak so confidently and um securely in, in your in your views and, and your opinions um that you have about cricket on the game. Um guys look from from our side, keep looking after yourself, keep doing what 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 needs to be done throughout all this. We have got our next webinar this time next week. That's with Paul Shaw, um ex England um, ladies coach, also a um guru of leadership and building successful teams so that's very relevant for any coaches or any captains potentially that might want to speak to Paul about building successful teams and environments and also don't forget the weekly cricket and coffee webinar tomorrow that's live 10 o'clock on Facebook we have got 
special guest Rob Taylor, ex Scotland Leicestershire cricketer, who's going to be talking to us about all things cricket this week. So, guys, if I can ask you to, um, if you'd like to, you can you can thank Harry and mute yourself, and then um, that brings us to an end today. So, thanks very much. Brilliant, Harry. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Tom. Again. Thanks, everyone. Thank Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Right. I'm off, Tom. Yeah, H, thanks. Um, just got you on six people there still. Um, I'll just wait for these last couple to leave. It's just my old man that works fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's sodding, mate. Um, yeah, H, thanks for today, mate. I appreciate that. Was it, was, were the questions all right? They weren't too... Yeah, no, fine, mate. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wanted to just just chat and get you I, I just for the guys to get your personality across as well, mate. Really, mm. that um, was good. Good, enjoyed it, Ben. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah, really good, really um, good. But look, H, thanks for your time and thanks for um, helping us get this out there, mate. Obviously, it's been an, it has been a difficult. Well, for anybody involved in cricket, it's been a difficult time, as you know, mate. Um, yeah, I do appreciate your time, and I, I do want to come over and. Um, catch up with you at Warm's World at some point yeah we definitely should mate we'll it's been too long mate we need to get everyone together get like I, I, I occasionally have a message with Lowy on Facebook and what have you yeah Lowy's yeah. a great lad um, we should all meet for a drink but that'd be quite nice but like I said mate thanks for thanks for giving up your time I know it ran a little bit mate and, uh, uh, that's fine mate I apologise about that um, uh, no worries hopefully your dinner's not burnt no, well, I'll be cooking it, so it won't be. It'll be oh, boring. Right. You're in the door. But, mate, look, say hello to your family and say hello to um, Mrs. as well, yeah? Will do. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Thanks, Ben. Mate. Cheers, Kevin. Thanks, 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 Harry. Take care. Cheers, H. See you, mate. Bye, Bye Paul. Bye-bye. That was top draw, Ben, wasn't it? Yeah, really good. Um, um, we 